Hey Renee. Hey Josh, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Can you hear me okay? I can, I can. The tech is all working. Beautiful. Love it when that happens. I know. Bastian is actually running a few minutes late. He's having something delivered, so he's going to have to deal with that first and he will jump on once that is done. Yeah, no worries at all. I have the time. Nice one. First of all, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, um, no, pleasure. And before we get properly into it, I'll just give a quick introduction to what it is we're doing and what these conversations are, these quick one with conversations. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that these are conversations with professionals working in sport, such as yourself, as you would have over a drink in a bar post-work. That's the idea. So before we get into the serious stuff, as it was, if we were in a bar, what would your drink be and what is the last bit of sport that you either watched or talked about before jumping on here with us okay yeah the drink I would probably have we depends on where I am to be honest but I'd probably start if I was in Edinburgh I'd have a side of black but if I was in the Netherlands I'd have like a special IPA like an IPA beer nice um yeah so something a bit different and then the last piece of sport that i watched was world champions league yesterday evening and we have ajax coming up uh, later on this evening so i will watch that very true very true who have ajax got this evening young boys well i have faith in them to get through that round (laughs) (laughs) oh i hope keeping my fingers crossed keeping my fingers crossed yeah, so why don't you tell me a little bit about what you've been doing at Adidas? And before we get started, actually, can you please clear up the pronunciation of Adidas or Adidas? Because I'm going to say it wrong the whole I time. I can. So, interestingly enough, we had like a major brand um, strategy reveal this morning, and everyone that's German will say Adidas, and everyone that's American will say Adidas. The correct pronunciation is Adidas because it's from Adi Dassler, which is our like the the founder um yeah. so it's adidas there yeah, we go that'll that's, help you that's that story <laughs> I, I love how there was a meeting today within adidas to to make sure that that was all everyone was singing off the same hymn yeah. sheet yeah every time there's an american that's get hired that gets hired at like a senior position they'll always say it incorrectly at first and then you can see them later on tra- transition like after a couple of months and you'll hear them start saying adidas because they've probably been told it so often that it's not the right way to say it I can see that Bastian has just joined us. Bast, is everything all good? Yeah, all good. I was actually um, accepting my delivery for uh, the the meatless week. Johan that you've met, who he's now started his um, vegan delivery service from his uh, from his bar. Oh wow! So, yeah, we've got we've got Mor- a hearty Moroccan uh, vegan tart this evening. That sounds lovely. Yeah, it sounds really, really good. So yeah, we hadn't actually gone into it just yet. We were just clearing up how to pre- correctly pronounce Adidas, but I'm sure, I'm sure, Bastian, I'm sure you were ahead of the game anyway. So yeah, Rene, do you want to just tell us a little bit about what you've been doing with Adidas? Yeah, sure. So I've been working for Adidas for a year now. I was actually recently promoted from a trainee to an assistant manager sports marketing. 
So I work in the sports marketing department for specialist sports, which covers all sports from tennis, rugby, field hockey, volleyball, Olympic sports, but also a couple of smaller ones such as boxing, taekwondo and stuff like that. Um, and the main part of my job is I work on servicing and activating tennis athletes from our global tennis portfolio. So you can think of the likes of like an Alexander Zverev, a Stefanos Tsitsipas, um, a Gabinia Muguruza. We service them with products and we make sure that they also activate on their social media, that they're being used for retail activations. Um, just kind of the whole, yeah, trying to make sure that we can connect Adidas and um, professional athletes together to promote the brand, obviously, in, in, in global tennis. And then the second part of my job is mainly to focus on our worldwide Olympic portfolio, considering the Olympics were postponed from 2020 to 2021. My main task is to uh, oversee all of the extensions and our representation on the ground in Tokyo uh, across all markets, um, across all disciplines and help out with servicing once the event goes ahead, which I'm keeping my fingers crossed will. Um, and also helping with the brand comms and stuff like that around it and reactives. So those are my two main main tasks. Wow, yeah, there's a lot there and that's super impressive. <laughs> um, but I really, I actually really like the way those sports all came up under the umbrella of specialist sports. I mean, I'd actually not heard that before. What's the kind of definition of a specialist sport, do you know? Yeah, so if you actually take the entire brand, you have like the uh, sports BU and under that, underneath that falls football, running, US sports such as basketball, American football, etc., golf and specialist sports and outdoor. So things like rock climbing, but also trail running and mountain biking and stuff like that. And specialist sports used to be called heartbeat sports. So it was kind of that really small niche sports where you know people that participate in it they love the sport that they play it's it's not played by as many people but those that do participate in it are you know very passionate about it so that's why it used to be called heartbeat sports but since recently a couple of years ago they changed it to specialist sports that's kind of science behind it i really like that heartbeat sports is another great name for them for the olympics has because obviously it's recently come out in the news that it's not looking like they're going to allow any overseas fans. I mean, has that changed the way you're approaching the competition at all as a, as a brand or the preparations you've been making anyway, kind of taking that into account? Um, yeah, really interesting question. I think it's so we've been we've obviously always keep kept that in the back of our mind. Uh, they haven't officially officially announced it. They said that they were going to do that on the 25th of March. So that's kind of the, the deadline that we're working towards. It won't make that big of a difference for us, except for the fact that players will be less likely to bring along their family and their managers and stuff like that, which is usually something that would that would happen. You know, the atmosphere is just going to be not as you know exciting. You're going to have less, yeah, less international tourism. Just kind of makes you know more difficult to have a bit more excitement for all sports. I would say so. That's maybe something that we would be keeping in the back of our mind that you know sports that are more that Japanese fans are more keen to watch would be more of a focus point than those that aren't um, you know aren't as, as good for them but other than that I'm not 100% sure as it's you know not been com completely determined as well yeah it's a, it's a good point 
I can imagine that you're thinking already ahead of schedule in terms of sort of the players that you've got on your roster that mm-hmm. thinking of what can we do with them when they're out there to activate the brand as much as possible because I guess the rules around promotions in, in the Olympics is strict at best of times. Um, <laughs> so does that does it potentially open up a sort of room for you guys to sort of find a, a bit bigger of a loophole to activate? Um, it's really difficult to activate athletes. Like you have um, Rule 40, which is obviously an IOC um, yeah, regulation that kind of makes it difficult for us to activate our athletes during the Olympics. We can only activate them once they are done competing or else you um, you have a conflict with ASICS, which is the um, official sponsor of the, the Olympics. So when it comes to activating them, we can only do that afterwards. And then if we would want to do that on the ground, they have to leave the bubble within 48 hours of competing. So that means that we have a very short time frame to actually get the athlete, have them come to our office in a COVID friendly manner and then, you know, take pictures or do an interview or stuff like that. There are a lot of like extra loopholes that you have to go to because of the fact that, you know, you have to do things regarding COVID regulations. They have bubbles that they have to get out of. um, And a lot of the times they'll just want to go home as well. So that's kind of what it's a work in progress at the moment to try and see how we can, yeah, amplify them the most. And then you also have the issue of with the Olympics, you have to fall underneath NOC rules as well. Um, they obviously, you know, they wear the footwear, but they don't necessarily wear the the, the kit because that's from the NOC or the federation mm-hmm. that they um, that they're a part of as well. So there are a lot of different rules that you have to go through, which is a maze, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. it feels by the sound of it, COVID has just added a whole new layer to that maze rather than slightly opening it up. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah. Unfortunately, still no silver lining to this whole situation. <laughs> no, unfortunately not. No, no. But it's interesting to see. Like, it's interesting to see how an, a global event will adapt to to these new situations and how they'll, you know, still try to make the most of it. So, yeah, unique, 100%. I would say. Yeah, it's what it's what we've all had to do, I guess, and learned how to how to cope with it. It'd be really interesting at that kind of scale, how they they turn something, of course, that is so an event that's so physical about building new buildings and venues and people traveling to go to it, how they turn an event like that digital. Exactly. And for example, we, we, I also work in tennis, so we had a lot of the behind the scenes from the Australian open. And I don't know if you guys followed that a bit, but that's obviously an event where people come from all over the world. The athletes come from all over the world, but it's still not as many as the Olympics. They put everyone in bubbles, you know, for two weeks. And even that, you know, there were so many different different issues that, that came up during that period of time as well. And that was at such a smaller scale. So I'm really intrigued to see how they'll pick that up when it, you know, when there are 13,000 athletes or 11,000 athletes yeah. coming to Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The benefit of all the previous events is that you can keep people quite local in terms of a bubble. You can keep them right next to the venue like we've seen here in Holland with ice skating competitions and stuff like that. But when you're dealing with a sailing competition and then you're dealing with a track and field competition, the venues are so different. So you're going to have to have people so spread out. Exactly. And it's just, you know, the amount of participants, where they can stay, where they're coming from, um, you know, the tennis tourist pack, they travel all over the world and every few days they're somewhere somewhere else, you know. So how yes. do you how do you make sure that, 
you know everything's done in a covid friendly uh, friendly way is super challenging so yeah so i'm glad i'm not in event management <laughs> definitely not <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah. it's going to be a crazy task actually just going back to rule 40 quickly i hadn't heard that either and i think that very naively i'd always thought that the reason why athletes never did any sort of interviews or activations before they'd finished competing was because they you know they were so focused and this was it you know but the fact that there's actually a rule about that now makes total sense yeah it's it's super strict if you yeah you, you could go into a maze hole in on google and find all of the different loopholes that brands have taken i think the michael phelps under armor video was one of the it was a really good one that they did i think for 2016 when because you're not allowed to use any olympic emblems but you do want to talk about how you're working towards you know the greatest moment of your life but you're not allowed to refer to the olympics so lots of brands have been taking you know a lot of creative ways to kind of still use their athletes that they pay millions of dollars for to yeah to promote them at their key olympic you know sporting moment of their career if that makes sense yeah that reminds me of how sky sports now pretend that the champions league just doesn't exist because they no longer have the coverage rights for it in the uk they just don't ever talk about it on any coverage whatsoever and that's uh, that it reminds me of that slightly yeah exactly there's there's i mean there's also some great lists of what you mentioned now like how the people um manage to slip through the to the sort of cracks one of my favorites i can't remember if it was kodak or canon where they basically just handed out, you know, there's like throwaway cameras to everyone that was along the road at the marathon because it was outside of the Olympic Village. So that basically every sh- any shot you had of the public was people with a Kodak camera, which was, I think Canon was the sponsor, but everyone had a Kodak camera. Yeah, there's good ones. They have like career marketing actions where they'll just stand outside of the Olympic Village and they'll just start spamming everyone with their own brand. It's Yeah, people get really creative. It's cool. I'm guessing you can't spill spill the beans on any anything you guys have planned. <laughs> <laughs> no, not just yet. Not just yet. You just have to wait and see. <laughs> keep our eyes open. Another thing that actually I thought that you and Bastian could could talk about, and I could ask ignorant questions, was uh, was hockey because you are both avid hockey players, or at least were. I know that I know that Bastian, you were still playing right up until until lockdown. But Renee, have you still been playing? I played on Tuesday. That was the first time I'd been back since September. So if you're under the age of 27, you can train again with your team. So out of the 20 people, we were with four that were able to actually go back on the pitch and play around a bit, which was good fun. But um, yeah, hopefully it'll be back in like a normal state very soon. Yeah, Bass, does that rule rule you out? I can't remember. So I don't know. So being twenty-seven, I don't mean I don't know if that means you fall mm. under it or over it. I think that they've they've recently changed the rule where if you are twenty-seven and over, you can now play with four people, but you have oh. to still keep one and a half meter distance. Got Whereas it. we can play with an unlimited amount of people and don't need to keep one and a half meters distance. It's yeah, it's mind-boggling how these rules are enforced, but still, yeah. I guess they have to draw draw the line somewhere. Yeah, fair point. Yeah. Yeah, well, that must have been nice. I must say, I would love to go back to, to playing a bit of football. 
But no, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about hockey a little bit was because I don't know why I always had this in my head that hockey was actually one of those sports that was kind of ahead of the curve a little bit in terms of equal pay. I think it's because the times I watched it was usually during the Olympics. And so male and female hockey was always sort of got the same visibility in those competitions. But I think even domestically, I had this idea in my head that it was one of the sports where it was kind of the furthest ahead in that regard. I mean, is is that true in any way or have I made that up? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. To be honest, I don't have the stats on in terms of, of prize money or anything like that. I, it's more from my experience in terms of popularity. And it obviously differs per country. But in the Netherlands, I mean, I would I would judge the popularity to be basically on the same level. Yeah, so I did a bit of research behind it. And yes, I would say that they're both really popular. And, you know, for women's hockey, it's probably one of the the largest sports when it comes to female participation. You know, more more women play hockey than men, I think, as well in the country. But I do know that there are um, initiatives to make it more equal, like ABN AMRO, which is a bank that's quite um, quite visible in, in the hockey in hockey sphere, are trying to... Um, make it a lot more equal when it comes to sponsorship pay, when it comes to paying the athletes, and when it comes to having having clubs that have more women in leadership roles as well. Um, so they're trying to make it a lot better because apparently it is actually quite significantly different. Like women are paid five times less than than a male would. A lot of international athletes are recruited from for male, but not for female. Uh, um, yeah, uh, yeah, clubs as well. So I'm. I don't know, it's something that's still developing. I think it's coming more to the forefront. I think everyone assumed that it was equal, which yeah. meant that, you know, people don't really look into it. But now people are, you know, becoming a lot more aware of it. I think Deloitte is also doing something similar as well. So sponsors are kind of coming forward and trying to change the sphere, change the playing field. It's it's an interesting approach, right, to, to target, to go somewhere where, there's the assumption that there there is a lot of equality, but really when you scratch beyond the surface, there isn't. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm so surprised that men male hockey players earn five times more than women hockey players do. Yeah, they earn a lot more in in sponsoring as well. You know, how yeah. much a female player is sponsored versus a male player is, is also quite different. And you wouldn't you know, in football people assume that because of course, you know, football is a major sport for men and women is growing and people thought in hockey, oh, it's quite equal, but it's, yeah, even then it still isn't the case. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, those stats, are that, is that international or is that here in the Netherlands? I think it's here in the Netherlands, I can say that for sure. I don't know what it would be like in other countries. Because if it's in the Netherlands, I mean, you would you would say if you look at um, the World Cup when it was here in 2014, I mean, every women's, national women's game was, was failed they filled a football stadium mm-hmm. like they did for the men as well so the usual sort of short-sighted arguments that people use in in, in football and women's football well you don't have you don't have the same amount of people that come to the game so sponsors aren't as interested yeah commercially it's super relevant to actually yeah, exactly. sponsor you know women's women's hockey so yeah i think it's just historically something that has always been the case that they now need to you know change that but you know shift the barrier they need to kind of create better changes yeah and one of the most interesting things and this kind of one of the things that that also interests me but also kind of pisses me off at the same time is that ab and for example they also got 
called out on the fact that they themselves aren't equal when it comes to paying their own women, when it comes to having women in leadership roles in their own company. They're actually doing quite bad when it comes to the banking industry. So they're, I feel like they're also using it as a PR stunt, which is where, mm. where I kind of, yeah, I don't like the fact that a lot of companies are trying to be more inclusive. They're trying to, you know, be more sustainable. They're trying to, you know, really focus on these big societal topics. But then when they actually look at themselves, they're not really doing very well. But that's a whole different topic as well, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I think, but, what, yeah. I think what you said, Bass, is interesting because you're right, the, the sort of the go-to arguments tend to be around the money that comes from the sponsors isn't the same and there's not the same amount of interest from fans and, and viewers um, for TV deals, for example. But it's interesting that this initiative in hockey has obviously come from a sponsor so that kind of negates that argument a little bit and then in terms of the sort of viewership side i mean i actually i I don't have any figures on hockey but i did a little bit of research of my own and the bbc did a survey and when it came to football so the women's world cup in 2019 attracted 1.2 billion viewers which is three times less than what the men did in 2018 However, the prize money was nine times less than the men's prize money. So instead of winning $38 million, the U.S. women's national team only took home $4 million, which is obviously big in, in women's sport. But, I mean, the stark contrast between the two is incredible, given the interest that is obviously there and the sponsors that are now quite obviously there as well. I mean, it just sort of begs the question, well, what is it? What is actually causing this huge gap i think a lot of the time like it's it's kind of a catch-up if you really think about it you know it was always you know 100 meters behind or 10,000 kilometers behind if you really want to you know exaggerate it but it's you know you have to catch up to what the men's have been doing but they're also going at a really fast pace so it kind of feels very difficult to catch up to 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 the men's level which is also really interesting because I also work in tennis and tennis is historically one of those sports that has you know tried to have men and women have equal pay at grand slams and um, also in in that sphere that's been challenged for quite a while Um, and still you know they don't play the same amount of time for example you know you play five sets for men and three sets for women so whereas a football game a football match that's 90 minutes both of them so that's always been an interesting one as well and i think if you really want to uh, make it smaller between the amount of prize money or the amount of people that watch it then there are so many different factors that kind of come into play would you not think yeah def- definitely though those things come into play and i think it's also just i think it's a really good point on trying to catch up but it's also just part of that catching up is not simply sort of getting the same amount of attention but it's also getting people to think differently about it because I remember at at university I did a whole I did a whole piece around sort of tennis and around the equal pay bit from what you could see that women were ready to play have said that they are able to and ready to play five set matches and on top of that more and more voices in the men's circuit and tour are saying that five set grand slams are becoming too hard on their bodies basically so th- there's an argument as well to start thinking okay how can we innovate a sport to make it more equal to make it more accessible and i think that something that i think i find a really interesting concept is the, is the hundreds 
the cricket in in the UK, approaching that as a, as a sort of both male and female players, uh, a draft, all equal sort of prize money across the teams. I think it'd be interesting to kind of see if if that's the way to sort of generate better equality is just creating new concepts within sport. Yeah, it's interesting you should bring up cricket actually because that's what this BBC survey was was using. That was the headline. I think cricket is sort of seen as one of those sports that is innovating, as you say, so much that is it's allowing itself the space to to become one of those more equal sports in terms of in terms of pay, certainly. And actually, one of the other sports that more recently has become one of the most equal sports in terms of pay. I'll I'll let you try and guess what it is. Hockey was listed, cricket, wrestling, and can either of you guess what the last sport is? I must say I would never have got it. Is this internationally or like where? Or internationally, where yeah. I, okay. I... Ooh, that's a good one. I'm just going to throw a random one out there, skiing. It's not skiing. Think a little bit roguer than that. Even roguer than that. Even roguer. Yeah. <laughs> like bobsledding or something? It's it's on a similar level of niche, I'd say. Yeah, I'll give you a little clue. It, I guess it's an. Uh, I'm gonna say this word wrong now. It's an aquatic, an aquatic sport. Uh, water polo. No. Diving. Very close. Artistic. Oh no. Artistic uh, swimming. What's it Synchronized swimming. Yeah. Synchronized swimming. Yeah. No, you were very close yeah. with the diving. In fact, I'm I'm inclined diving. I'm inclined to give it to cliff you because yes, Martin, you've correct. It's cl- it's cliff diving. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I I would have been blown away. In fact, I wouldn't have believed you if you'd got it. I, I would have known you'd read the article if you, <laughs> if you'd got that because there's no way you were getting that. But yeah, thankfully, it does seem to be something that a lot of these sports are moving towards but it's it's just a shame that football unfortunately does always seem to be listed as kind of one of the worst examples yeah it's probably it's probably also completely torn out of perspective with the ridiculous salaries that men men is being men are being paid but it just goes to show that people are willing to invest that kind of money into a sports yeah exactly hopefully you know it does it does level out and on the sort of, I guess, in the same sort of way, when you're working within your team or personally even, how do you try and keep in mind sort of, I want to ensure that that sport is as equal as possible? Um, I don't know if there's sort of rules within Adidas sort of in your marketing collateral or anything like that, or if there's anything personally that you kind of always want to keep in the back of your mind where if we do this, then make sure we do also do that. Yeah, really interesting question. Um, obviously, yeah, you want to, you know, provide the athletes with the same amount of attention when it, or you know, same amount of attention, same retainer, same bonuses. These are all kind of things that you keep in the back of your mind. I know that, you know, we kind of work off of the same same base level, but then each individual athlete is, you know, also worth a different amount, and that's also based on the popularity of the sport. It's a difficult one. Yeah, how do you do that personally? I mean, if I see that we're offering, you know, ex-athlete who's a male uh, from a really, you know, boring market, uh, we're offering him twice as much as we would a female in a really good markets in the in Europe, for example. Then, yeah, that would raise some red flags, and then you would you would definitely want to want to flag that in a conversation. But 
it's all based on what you know what, what's going on in the market um i don't think i'd have enough experience to really say how that would work and how that yeah yeah fair enough because i think it must be difficult at times that working at a at a company where you are well every company at the end of the day but you're very very much driven by sort of generating sales as much as possible so you're having to judge athletes and influencers in their sort of sell it I mean, how much potential they have to generate sales, I guess, right? Yeah, definitely. That's that's exactly it. Like you use them to essentially the only reason or the main reason that you want to, you know, have these athletes is so that they make other people want to buy the product. That's kind of the sole purpose of them if you really think about it. You also want yeah. to create brand association and you want to um, – but essentially want to drive growth, which is one of the things, interestingly enough, that when I applied for this job was always something that I kept in the back of my mind. Like, is it is my main goal to make sure that Adidas wants to sell more product to people? Um, it was, yeah, it was an interesting one because compared to Ajax, for example, that's where you sell the love of the club. You sell the, you sell the experience that people have coming to a game. You sell, um, yeah, you kind of, sell a passion and a lifestyle compared to you sell items of clothing i would say that's the difference that i experience with both jobs as well yeah i can imagine yeah and it, i guess there's something to be said for brands like adidas in order to sell more products pushing sports and allowing those sports to grow as well and so like for example women's sport i mean there's something to be said about brands like adidas helping to grow those sports in order to create a bigger market in order to to basically sell more clothes as you say it doesn't no definitely they you know we also try to sell you know we work very big in sustainability so we also try to um you know sell an idea where we want to reduce plastic waste we want to um you know build more co2 co2 neutral for example and by selling this and 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 promoting this we also want to create a positive brand association we want people to really believe in what we are doing as a brand and if that eventually then helps people to to buy it then that's also a different way of of looking at it you know you or you also want to stimulate the consumer to be more, you know, have a more uh, uh, sustainable lifestyle. You also want to promote a sort of, um, yeah, societal societal issue. Yeah. And actually, speaking of brand association, Adidas have got quite a good history of doing some really good collabs. And, and recently there was obviously the Beyonce collection. The Was it Icy Park? Yeah, it's originally called Ivy Park. And then her winter drop was called Icy Park, yeah. They have lots of collaborations. You know, they collaborate with Allbirds, for example, to create one of the most sustainable shoes out there. Um, they have collaborations with Pharrell William, Kanye West. Pali is obviously the biggest one when it comes to sustainability. So they've, they're actually looking out there to work together with people to create change rather than becoming a competitor, which I think is, is a really strong positioning as well. Rather than, you know, pushing people out, they're trying to bring people together to eventually go towards a common goal yeah i like that it's a good way to look at it i agree and so to wrap things up in a full circle i'm gonna ask bastian what he thinks the iap score is going to be this evening <laughs> well i just i just heard my dad scream and i quickly read the live take a penny anthony missed the real clear one-on-one but um 
but yeah, my my guess is going to be I'm just going to go for a solid two now. Decent. Well, thank you both very much. Thank you very much, Renee. That was really good. It was really interesting. Yeah, I actually learned a lot about specialist sports and heartbeat sports. <laughs> yeah. So I can take that away with me. That was great. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I'll uh, listen in to the next couple of ones that you have. I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks, take guys. care. Have, have a, a nice one. evening. Cheers. Bye-bye.